Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible with you today, turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And if you recall our study last week, you know, you see the, um, you know, we uh, studied about Saul and his, uh, um, uh, how he came to Christ and how the Lord used him. We had a little uh, uh, side study. You know, we looked at some, you know, passages in Galatians and how he says, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood and how he wanted to uh, uh, go directly to the source. And you see how the Lord used him mightily. You know, nobody could, nobody could refute him. Remember, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Nobody could refute him. And, you know, he was so bold before the Lord, before the people. You know, humble before the Lord, but bold before the people. And then at the same time, what you see is like everywhere he went, the Jews wanted to kill him. You know, the Greek speaking Jews, they wanted to kill him. Everywhere he went, people wanted to kill him because they couldn't refute him. The Hellenists wanted to kill him. And you know what the fruit of that is, is where we left off last week in verse 31. Then the churches throughout, or throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. <clears throat> That's the fruit of truth and the fruit of God's holy word going forth. You know, people believe, people receive, people, uh, uh, they, they, uh, uh, um, they walk with the Lord. They learn from the Lord. They themselves become disciples. And then you start to see, wow, you know, this is like revival. Revival, biblical revival. And you hear me say this every now and then, you know, but our old pastor in California, he would speak about certain revivals that he was uh, witness to and part of. <clears throat> and he was saying, you know, how like when revival happens, businesses shut down, like certain like uh, uh, alcohol stores, strip clubs, you know, the adult shops, you know, all these things, they start to shut down because there's no more market for that. There's no more demand, and that's when you see revival happen. You know, now we live in a culture where, you know, the businesses are shut down, but for other reasons. You know, but when a revival happens, a Holy Spirit revival, you start to see the demand for carnal things starts to diminish and wane and even wean and get less and less. <clears throat> But now, you know, I love the book of Acts because it's it's almost like, um, how do I, like meanwhile, a lot of meanwhiles. You know how like the Lord will be doing something in one place and then meanwhile, go to Philip, you know, and then meanwhile, go to the Ethiopian, you know, and meanwhile, and then the two come together. And then meanwhile, Ananias is praying. Meanwhile, this thing is happening in, in, you know, with Saul on Damascus Road. Meanwhile, all these things. That's what I love about the book of Acts. It's just action-packed. No pun intended, you know, action. No, maybe pun intended. But look at verse 40, 42, because now we have Peter. You know, meanwhile, Peter, we just got done with Saul and, you know, what the Lord was doing, what the Lord did in him and what the Lord is doing through him. And the Lord's not done with Saul. Same way the Lord's not done with you. He's doing his work inside of you. Meanwhile, 
Now we see Peter in verse 32, where we left off last week. Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all the parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. Lydda is northwest of Jerusalem. It's on the way to the coast, but it's kind of like, you know, it's not all the way to the coast. It's kind of like right in the middle. And, you know, in the Old Testament, it's Lod. We're going to see passages in the Old Testament of a city and towns named Lod. In the Greek, Lod is Lydda. Today is where the Ben-Gurion airport is. It's the the airport, the international airport in, in Israel. It's very interesting because you start to see, you know, like like how the like how God is like canvassing, canvassing the land, you know, and sending out His people. Because you know we see these things happen in Jerusalem. You see in some Samaria, uh, Samaria, uh, Samaria. You see how the uh, like Philip, how the church was blown up with Philip. How the Lord just sent this one guy. And you start to see like, you know, this diaspora that happened when when there was great fear and how the, the church was freaked out because Saul, who was a persecutor of the saints, you know, the cost of being a Christian became heavier. And you see the church just like spreads. It just goes forward. Some people flee, some people run away, but it's not just they run away. I mean, there's the freaked out aspect of it, but they run away into the outskirts of Jerusalem into different lands. And then what do you see? They're still scattering seeds. They're still scattering seeds. And we're going to see when we get to the, you know, uh, Corinthian letters, when we get to Galatia, Galatian, Ephesians, we're going to see the the church in Ephesus, the church in Galatia, the church in Corinth. You're going to see that part of this diaspora we read in Acts uh, before Stephen was martyred, right after Stephen was martyred and killed. You're going to see that this, I'm doing an air quote here, but the air quote diaspora it was it, the the seeds were still being spread. They were still going forth. Disciples were being made. The church in Ephesus, disciples were still being made. The church in Corinth, disciples were still being made. The problem that happened with with Corinth is that you know they started to go back to the flesh. They started to go back to the carnal ways. And then Paul says, "Hey, cut it out. Repent." The church in Galatia. They started to go back to the law. You know, of all the letters that Paul wrote, you know, that the church in Philippi was like a model church. Because Paul doesn't write to them about, you know, <clears throat> hey, you guys need to, you know, get away from the law. Don't go to the law. He said that to the church in Ephesus or Galatia. But he didn't say that to the church in Philippi. He didn't say to the church in Philippi, hey, you know, you guys are having, you know, uh, uh, all this sex going on in your church. He didn't write about a lot of the carnal things that he wrote about to other churches. That's why you see Philippi is like a model church. The Philippian letter. You read that and it's an exhortation. Exhortation to a church that is obedient. And following, there's still warnings in there. Like, hey, you know, I know there might be this passion, this desire, but don't do it. Don't do this. Don't go that direction. It's kind of like a warning, but like kind of like a soft warning. Like, you know, don't be like the church in Corinth. 
I love it so much because you start to see this diaspora that happened in Acts. You start to see that the seeds were still spread. The seeds were still going forth. And so you have Peter now. He's kind of, you know, going through all parts of the country, going around. <clears throat> Remember how, you know, like John and Peter, you know, he was, you know, the heavy when uh, Philip was uh, 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 preaching the gospel and, you know, people were uh, uh, believing, they believed in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit hadn't yet fallen on them. And then Peter and John come and then he prays and then they receive the Holy Spirit, except the Holy Spirit skipped one. Here you see Peter now, he's kind of like, I don't want to say making his rounds, but in a sense, he's kind of making his rounds. Still making disciples, and then at the same time, he's you know exhorting the church, a comfort to the disciples throughout the land. But in verse 33, <clears throat> there he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden at eight years and was paralyzed. You know, in certain translations, says that he had the palsy. This guy Aeneas, <clears throat> he had the palsy. It translates as tremors and seizures. You know, today we have cerebral palsy. We have Bell's palsy, all different kinds of palsies. But either way, there's some type, something going on there. Could be cerebral, could be facial. You know, you see these people today. Sometimes you go to the grocery store, not so much anymore, but you know, you, you go out or when we could go out, you know, you go out and you see these things, people in their wheelchairs, they got their motorized wheelchairs and you see like, wow, this guy twitches a lot. Or people who are under seizures, such as the case with Aeneas. A certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden for eight years in bed and was paralyzed. Straight up, paralyzed. What does that mean to be paralyzed? You know, you can't walk. Can't walk. This guy is straight up in bed for eight years. And Peter said to him, Aeneas. Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Now, <clears throat> to the carnal person, this is so outlandish. It's all borderline preposterous. I, sh I can't even say borderline. Because to the carnal person, it's like, why would you even tell such a person, arise and make your bed? You would say, that's so mean. How are you going to tell... A guy who's been bedridden eight years, paralyzed, rise and make your bed. That's so mean. You know, I have to say something about healing. The gift of healing. Nowhere in the Bible does it say there's an expiration date on it. You see healing ministries today. They call themselves healing ministries but it begs the question, where in the world are they healing? Every time I see healing in the Bible, in the Holy, Holy Bible, every time I see healing, the ones by which the healing comes through aren't your average bear. They're not the average Joe. They're not the average Jane. It's not to say, you know, you have people that are like Simon. They treat the Holy Spirit like, you know, like he's a uh, magician. 
And Paul's the one who says, hey, you know, your heart isn't right before the Lord. Remember, the Holy Spirit skipped over that guy, Simon, from Acts 8. And there are people today who are more Simon and less Peter. Simon in Acts 8. You know, they, they treat the Holy Spirit like, you know, they, they live their lives like, you know, like uh, very carnally. And then they say, you know, in the name of Jesus. And then they, they treat like, like, like abracadabra. They say in the name of Jesus, like they're saying abracadabra. That's what you see a lot today with these so-called healing ministries. But where's the healing? That's why I say these the, the people who the healing comes from are, are not the average bear. Look at Peter. What's average about him? Look at Saul. And we're going to see more and more read these accounts. What's average about these guys? Answer, absolutely nothing. Nothing is average about these guys. You see, these guys are obedient, number one. And not just obedient to the, you know, you know, it's like hardcore obedience. Obedience with eyes to see and ears to hear. Spirit-led people. I'll tell you what I believe about the last day's church. And with, you know, we could have a long discussion about this. But in the last days, there's going to be few people with eyes to see and ears to hear. Number one, because they don't have a lot of oil in their lamps. But then number two, they haven't trimmed their wicks properly. If we were having this conversation 40 years ago, you could probably get away with it on this world, not with the Lord, but you could probably, you know, live a good life in accordance with man and die. And then, you know, you got to answer before the Lord. I'm not the judge. He is. He's the one that's going to measure all these things. No disrespect to the Lord by saying it that way. But it's true. But specifically for the generation of the last days. There are going to be fewer, fewer people that have that, that number one are virgins, you know, in the context of the ten virgins. Very, very few people that are number one virgins. Number two, that have lamps. Number three, that have oil. Number four, that have enough oil. Number five, that have their trims, their, their wicks properly trimmed. Specially trimmed. Skillfully trimmed. I forgot what number I was on. Number six, that have ears. Number seven, that have eyes. Number eight, I don't know if I said obedient, but, you know, if I did already, I'll say it again. I don't mean like a run-of-the-mill, you know, 
quasi-obedience. That's what I mean when I say these people by whom the healing comes from. Old Testament, New, New Testament, Elijah, Elisha, Samuel, Isaiah. All these people, the healing comes through. They're not the run-of-the-mill guys. There's something different about them. That's what I mean when I say the last days leading. Who are these people who have eyes to see and ears to hear? People who will instruct many as the Bible prophesies and teaches us. So you have these... You know, people say that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the moving of the Holy Spirit, was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. You know why people say that? It's because... I don't want to say this in, 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 in a harsh way, but they're blind and deaf. Rather than understand, like Peter. When I say Peter wasn't the average bear. You know, you look at the church today. Look at these healing ministers that you see on TV. And it's like, man, that. Peter would never behave that way. Paul would never behave that way. The early church. The church fathers, the real church fathers, not the ones who, you know, the masses call the church fathers. You don't see that. You don't see the crazy. You don't see the carnality that you see today. People say, you know, in the name of Jesus, be healed. Healing doesn't come, and then they're, they got a needle in their arm. In the name of Jesus, be healed. They might even speak in tongues to show how hardcore they are. I'm doing air quotes here. To show how special they are. In the name of Jesus, be healed. Healing doesn't happen, and they're doing their sex. They go back to their crack. They go back to their meth. They go back to their marijuana. Oh, you know, Jesus didn't work. So therefore, he's not true. Mockers. Oh, the Holy Spirit didn't work. Therefore, that was for 2,000 years ago. No. What I say, I say, take the needle out of your arm. Cut it out, you know. Cooking spoons, doing your sexual stuff. Cut it out. Be changed. Be transformed by renewing of your minds. Carry your cross to your death. Carry your cross. Get yourself a new mind, a new spirit. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will move in your heart, in your life. 
confounding the wise. That's what I mean when I say these guys aren't the average bears. Elijah, Elisha, Peter, all these people, the healing ministries of today. They say in the name of Jesus the same way they say abracadabra. Garbage. It's a farce. Biblically speaking, though, it's not a farce. So you see Peter, he goes to this guy who's been paralyzed. Straight up paralyzed. Eight years with the palsy. And then Peter says to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Jesus the Messiah heals you. Arise and make your bed. <clears throat> and then he arose immediately. <laughs> you know, it's... In the carnal, in the carnal sense, to the carnal, it's so crazy to even suggest, like, what in the world is happening here? Carnal Christians read this, and they themselves are like, what in the world is happening here? But Aeneas, he arose immediately. Look what happens in verse 35. <clears throat> So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon. Sharon here, it's like a plain, the plain of Sharon. It's beautiful too because it's like, you see in the Song of Solomon chapter 2, in verse 1, you see the rose of Sharon. The rose of Sharon. Song of Solomon is often in some Bibles, it's called the Song of Songs. But the Song of Solomon. <clears throat> I can't wait till we get to that passage, until we get to the, the to the Song of Solomon. Because it's like a, if you ever read like Shakespeare, you know, it's written like a play. You're in like a, like a playwright where you have, you know, this person says this, this person says this. It's very, it's, it's written like, like, like almost Shakespearean, but even deeper. Like Shakespeare can't even come close to scripture. So forgive me for saying Shakespeare, but it's kind of written in, in that thematic elements in terms of, you know, like a playwright. But it's a hardcore love story and I love it so much. It is incredibly beautiful. A bride waiting for the bridegroom. A bride in the embrace of the bridegroom and the bridegroom in the embrace of the bride. Very powerful. You see this love relationship. Intimacy. And I mean intimacy now, you know, in the Song of Solomon's, I mean intimacy in a very, you know, the intimate way. But it's beautiful. Not how the world defines intimacy. You see this love relationship. It's kind of sad. You know, I, <clears throat> I don't know how to say this. I might get in trouble for saying it like this. But, you know, a lot of people enter into, I'm doing air quotes here, love relationships. 
but it's not really love. I don't know if I have words to explain it or to describe it. You know, you see a lot of, you know, these pastors who start to teach their kids, wives, you have to submit to your husband. Wives, submit to your husband. And so the wives, in obedience to what they're taught, they're like robots. You know, yes, master, I will submit to my husband. They go to their husband. Yes, master, I will clean the kitchen. Yes, master, I will take out the trash. Yes, master. And they're like little robots in their own home. You don't see that in the Song of Solomon. You don't see that at all in the songs. You see deep, deep love, respect, passion. You see all these things. And you know, I look at a lot of marriages today. Very few people have that. And you know, for the Christian, we all have it. It's just in our glorified bodies. (laughs) I don't mean to laugh and say, ah, maybe I do mean to laugh. But we all have it in our glorified bodies. And I'm speaking about our love relationship as the bride to the bridegroom. Whom, I don't know about you, I can't speak for anybody else but myself, but I can't wait to embrace him. It's so cool, you know, Jesus Christ goes to prepare a place for us that where he is, we may be also. And when our Father gives a command, you know, when the conditions of the world are right and the Lord says, okay, go. You know, Jesus Christ isn't like, you know, preoccupied. I, my flesh, my spirit, it kind of recoils at that thought. He doesn't say, okay, hold on, I'll do that in a second. No, he's like, boom. As much as we long for him, he longs for us. A bride longing for the bridegroom, the bridegroom longing for the bride. That's why, you know, we're going to get to this. You know, very rarely do I speak about my sentiments about marriage. It's a very holy institution, a beautiful institution. But I guess on purpose, I say institution. very beautiful but then at the same time you know we're going to get to it when Paul Paul writes about it and he makes a strong suggestion he says you know what I wish you guys wouldn't get married but you know if you can't you know if you have these passions it's better than you know rather than burn with lust it's better you get married than you can handle business and do your thing That's Paul's suggestion. But he says, you know what? It's better not to. Because then you can please the Lord. And we'll get into that. I'm getting you know, when we when we get to First Corinthians, you know, in certain chapters, he touches on it.
right after, you know, you see this sexual sin in the church. In chapter 5, 6, 7, he starts to teach about marriage, husbands and wives. And it's so beautiful because it's like, you know, no matter what, you know, I see a lot of wives that are like robots in their homes. You know, I saw, see a lot of husbands who, you know, they're idiots. They treat their wives like dirt. You know, you know, the Lord teaches for the husbands listening. The Lord says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. When does Jesus Christ ever put you under his thumb? When does Jesus Christ ever make, when does he ever make demands out of you? You know, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be with you unless you do this, 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 this. When does he ever put you under his thumb? Never. So why in the world do husbands do that to their wives? In a air quote love relationship, a husband like might like the passion aspect of things, but what about the respect aspect of things? What about the relationship aspect of things in terms of you're my best friend? You know? That's why I say love in air quotes. Because a lot of people, a lot of couples, people married for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Wow, look how strong our marriage is. We've been married for 50 years. And it's like, I look and it's like, man, your husband's been treating you like dirt for 50 years. Oh, I have to submit to my husband. I have to submit to my husband. You have to submit to Jesus Christ. Submit to the husband, capital H. And I'm not trying to destroy the hierarchy. I'm trying to explain the hierarchy in accordance with Holy Scripture. A lot of husbands, because of false doctrines, get away with get away with murder. You say, I haven't murdered her. I haven't killed her. Look at her demeanor. Look at her demeanor. Look at the demeanor of this woman. She's like a slave in her own home. Where's her joy? Where in the world is her joy? I have a hard time with men. I got to tell you, I have a hard time with men. Where is the joy in her life? Oh, husband. And you know, it trips me out so much. Because we're going to touch on it hardcore when we get to the Song of Solomon. And it's so incredibly beautiful because you see this love relationship. And you know what's so cool? I even like the aspect that it's Solomon 
because in a worldly sense, you could look at Solomon and be like, okay, yeah, that's one wife. But then what about wife number 10? Wife number 30? And you say, what do you mean you like that it's Solomon? Because as a shadow of the things to come, I understand that there are, uh, Solomon wasn't it. Kind of like Moses. Like Moses, how awesome he is. But then, you know, we're going to get to in a couple chapters, he, he had a little moment of disobedience. You know, Moses as a type of Christ, but he's not the Christ or even the law that was created with loopholes so that a second would be sought after. And I'm speaking about the law of the new covenant. All these things in the Old Testament, like it's like, wow, this is so cool. But there are this little thing I don't like. Praise the Lord, because it's a shadow of the things to come. Jesus Christ. As much as I like the bridegroom, lowercase b, in Song of Solomon, it's a shadow of the one to come, capital B. That's what's so cool about these things. And you read the Bible <clears throat> and you see these, like here we are in Acts 9. And you see Joppa, and, you know, and it's like, you know, it's Sharon, you know, in verse 35. You see all who dwell at Leda and Sharon. He's like, Sharon, where, where have I heard that before? And you hunt and search and you read and it's like, here's Sharon, I found it. The Rose of Sharon. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 1. And you read this, you read chapter 2 of Song of Solomon. And it is breathtaking it's it i have no words for it it is so breathtaking to read that that's what i mean when i when i'm talking every every person will have that kind of love in our glorified bodies a bride with the bridegroom the bridegroom with the bride very, very, very few, a minute few, if any, ever have that in this life. That's what I mean when, I, when Paul, you know, we're going to talk about that when Paul makes his suggestion about marriage. And I really, I don't like talking about marriage for a certain reason, because there was one time, you know, we were in church and it was, you know, uh, uh, two ladies and Liz, we were talking, you know, and then the two ladies, they turned to me and they say, hey, Jay, would you, would you ever get married again? I said, no way. And then all of a sudden, they like, they look at my wife like, like she was a bad lady, like, you know, what in the world did you do? Why, why doesn't he think this way? And, you know, I, it's not that I want it. it my wife has given me the greatest she's helped me fall in love with the bridegroom and that's what i mean when i say when paul when you have this love for the bridegroom capital b you have this immense love for the bridegroom you start to understand things a little bit better when paul says like okay i'm gonna make this suggestion 
And you're like, oh, okay, I get it now. Because you have an immense love for the bridegroom. It's not to denigrate, you know, marriage in this earth. I have tremendous love for marriage in this earth. But remember, there are aspects of it that fail. Because it's just a mere shadow of the things to come. Just like things in the Old Testament fail. Because they're a shadow of Jesus Christ who never fails. And we're going to touch on that more when Paul starts writing about marriage. But very rarely do I comment about marriage for that specific reason. It's not that I don't like the concept of marriage. In fact, I love it even more. Infinity, times infinity. But to the bridegroom. The love that everybody seeks, the love that I mean, you talk to like, you know, <clears throat> a young couple about to get married and it's like all lovey-dovey. It's like, okay, you know, that's that's fine. You know, it's it's beautiful, but, you know, the don't forget the commitment. You know, commitment is what's going to, that's, that's where longevity is. It's not to say, you know, love's going to fail. It's not to suggest that at all. But it's to say, wait a second, you know, this commitment before the Lord. It's a hardcore commitment before the Lord. And then at the same time, remember, it's a shadow of the things to come. And you see, well, you start to understand it in a different light. Not what you see in the movies. What you see in the movies is garbage. You know? It's totally not real. Fake. You know? All these people that are like, wow, I want to look like this. I want to behave like this. You know? And it's like, okay. Do you not understand that, you know, they have huge amounts of makeup? Do you not understand that they have all these lights all over the place? Do you not understand that, you know, when the director says cut, this guy is an idiot again? This lady's a dork. And they say action, and they're acting, they're playing a part, playing a role. People say, oh, I want to love like in the movies. I want this like in the movies. I have a love like in the Bible. Get your face out of the movie screen and, you know, put your nose to the Bible. Have a love like that. Let the Lord teach you about love. And you have these dumb husbands, you know, wife. You have to be under my thumb. Wife, make me turkey. You know, wife, I want steak. Wife, I want pizza. Wife, you know, I want 7-Up. You get these wives like little robots. Stupid. How is that a shadow? How, would this, how does that exemplify Christ? Just the opposite. A little sidetrack, but it's a little preparation for things that we're going to study when we talk about marriage. You know, you're going to see these concepts, what the Bible has to say about marriage. Don't forget, in our glorified bodies, it's going to be the ultimate marriage. A bride and her bridegroom. That's just so cool about reading the Bible. You know, it's like, okay, in verse 35, it says, So all who dwell at Lydda and, Lydda, Lydda and Sharon, it's like, wow, I've heard that before. 
And then you go and you read and you're like, whoa, that, what, you know, when, when in Song of Solomon, when he says that the, the, uh, the rose of Sharon, and you read that and you're like, that's like the, the plain of Sharon. It's like, wow, look, this is like right here. These events of Holy Scripture that are happening right there. And so this guy who was healed, Aeneas, and Peter who says, arise and make your bed to the paralytic. The guy who had been bedridden for eight years and paralyzed with the palsy. It says they saw him in verse 35, saw him and turned to the Lord. So they were going one way and then all of a sudden they changed to the way of Christ. That's what's so cool about receiving Jesus Christ. Because you could live your life according to you. You know, the world according to me. Oh, yeah, this is what my thoughts are on this matter. Yeah, I know the Bible says this, but I think otherwise. You know, it doesn't work that way. That's not yielding to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's the other way around. You're like, okay, I think abortion is okay. You know, you have sex with however many people you want. She gets pregnant. Just get an abortion. No big deal. It's a huge deal in the eyes of the Lord. And then you read the Bible and you're like, you take your preconceived notions about abortion, about sex, about drugs, about alcohol, about everything, about business, about marriage. You have your preconceived notions and you're the one that yields to the word of God. And so all of a sudden you keep reading and reading and reading and praying and praying and then you're confronted. Wow, my thoughts about abortion are wrong. Lord, forgive me. You keep reading. Wow, my thoughts about drugs are wrong. Lord, forgive me. I'm not going to do my meth anymore. I'm not going to do the crack stuff anymore. I'm taking these needles out of my arm. And you keep reading. And you're like, whoa, I've been cheating on my taxes. And you don't like dishonest scales, Lord. I pay employees under the table because I'm a cheapskate idiot. I don't like to, I like to defraud the IRS. And Lord, I read your word and you don't like dishonest scales. You don't like filthy lucre. Wow, Lord, forgive me. And so you start putting people on W-2 and you start paying taxes. You start doing these things. Stop being a cash-only business. Everybody likes to say, oh, yeah, we're cash-only. There's so much cash flow going on. It's, it's too much time out of my schedule to go to the bank. No, you're frauding the government. That's the real answer. And you're cheapskate. You're defrauding the government. And you're defrauding the Lord. You're disobedient to the Lord. You need to repent. That's how the Lord works. You need to repent. That's what's so beautiful about repentance. I told you the story. You know, I was talking to this guy. Wild sin. Wild sin. And he told me about it. And I was like, whoa, that is no joke. 
And so we started talking about grace, repentance. And he looks at me and he says, it's too good, it's too good to be true. He says, it's a raw deal for God. I said, look, man, that's grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. When God, our father, takes my sin, he takes your sin and he puts it on his son. I mean, put that in literal. I mean, it's, I shouldn't say literal. I mean, it is literal terms. But in your mind's eye, say you rob a bank. Say you commit murder. You kill somebody. You kill a guy. And then all of a sudden, his uncle, who's like this big behemoth, this massive guy who can just, you know, rip cars apart with his bare hands. He comes, stands in front of you. Are you the one who did this? And then another guy comes and says, no, I'm the one that did it. And all of a sudden, you're like, you're not even getting beat up. Somebody else paid the price. That's God's grace. And I don't mean to put Jesus Christ on, on that level, but that's what the cross is. That's my sin and your sin being removed from my account and your account and being placed on Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God, the only begotten Son of our Lord. Remember, God will provide for himself a sacrifice. And he was the sacrifice, Jesus Christ. You see, it's like, whoa. When you think about it in those terms, it's like, whoa, I committed this crazy sin, this wild sin. And I've fallen in love with you, Lord, so much. I don't want to do that. I don't want to grieve your spirit. I'm going to pull these needles out of my arm. I'm going to stop, stop snorting coke. I'm going to stop with the sexual stuff. I'm going to stop having my wife under my thumb. Because these are things that break your heart. These are things that grieve your spirit. And I don't want to be the vessel that does that. And when you have that mindset, when you have that heart set, I could say, man, the Holy Spirit starts building more and more and more and more. You mature and you grow. You deny the things of the flesh. You deny the things of youth. And you grow and you matriculate. You become a man of full stature. You become a woman of full stature in Christ. And that's what's so cool. These people, they saw like, whoa, this paralyzed guy. He's been bedridden for eight years. 
I could hear him moan one time. I even saw him. You know, I was visiting the family. I was there in their couch, you know, we were having a talk. And then all of a sudden, boom, he just started shaking like crazy. He had a big old seizure. And now here he is walking around. Who did this? That Peter guy did it. You mean Peter, the one who talks about Jesus Christ all the time? Yeah, he did it in the name of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he has to say. And it's like, whoa, Buddha doesn't do that for me. Muhammad doesn't do that for me. The Virgin Mary doesn't do that for me. His God is God. I receive him. That's what's so beautiful about this. All these people, life according to me. But what about life according to God? You see revival that happens. All these people in the town, all who dwell at Lydda, they turn to the Lord. So verse 36, at Joppa. It's a coastal, this is on the coast, Joppa now. So remember like you have Jerusalem and on the way to the beach, you know, you go to Joppa. But right in the middle between Jerusalem and Joppa, what do you have? Lydda. And so it says at Joppa, there was a certain disciple, translates in the Greek as Matatria, which is a disciple, beautiful, who is a female, female disciple, Matatria. So you have this disciple in Joppa, in the coastal community, named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. And, you know, it's kind of interesting, too, because in the Aramaic and the Greek, both those words, the Tabitha is the Aramaic and Dorcas is the Greek. But those two names, it's gazelle, translates as gazelle. I think that's kind of interesting in light of things we discussed already. Maybe 20 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago. Very beautiful to those who have ears. <laughs> this woman, this disciple... Who's a woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. You know, I have a special exhortation for women. Very recently, I caught wind of this old lady who is in harm's way, an old lady who is. You know, one step closer to a higher likelihood of death because of her environment. And man, she just blows me away. Biblically speaking, and I say this with the utmost purity, she's like straight up the full package. She loves the Lord. She fears the Lord. She has good works and her charitable deeds. And you know, quite honestly, I don't think this lady is afraid of dying. In fact, I think she almost is ready. Not ready in my terms, but ready like, you know what, let's like she's anxious to be with her bridegroom. You know, I say my special exhortation to females, young and old. 
There is a worldly beauty. There is such a thing as worldly beauty. And you see a lot of ladies, you know, they cake on the makeup. You know, they got all these wrinkles. And so they cake on this makeup. And it's like, it looks even worse without, you know, it looks better without the makeup. You know, I'd rather see wrinkles than you see. You see people with their caked on face. And you can tell it literally looks like cake on the face. They do their fake eyelashes. They do their whatever. They dress a certain way. I get, I get the, I understand the desire for beauty. But I tell you the truth, there is nothing more beautiful than godliness. This old lady that I'm telling you about. Beautiful, like. I've said this before, but if, like 20 some years ago, if you were to say, hey, Jay, who are the five most beautiful women? I would, you know, it'd be disgusting. I was very carnal in those days. But today, you say, Jay, who are the five most beautiful women? I say, okay, this, this, this. Some are dead already. But like historically, like in their walks. And then you'd open your eyes. You'd be like, well, you're the blindest guy on the planet. Worldly beauty, it fades. It doesn't last. This Tabitha, Dorcas in the Greek, her Greek name. Translation of gazelle. A disciple, a female disciple. With good works, her works were good, her deeds were charitable. This is so beautiful, you know, like... You see, I talked to this, Liz and I, we were with at this, uh, with this, you know, these young people. And there was this young girl, she was hungry, you know. And I said, you know, you're hungry, eat some more. And she got these little servings, you know, and she ate one. I said, no, I can't eat anymore. I said, why not if you're hungry? She says, my mom told me I have to look a certain way so that I can attract a good guy. Well, if that's the objective, you're, the guy you attract is going to be an idiot. Plain and simple. But you know, a guy who's dead to self, a guy who's in love with the Lord, a guy who loves the Lord, reads the word, and is like, you know, attentive to spiritual things. You know what's going to get his attention? Godliness. Righteousness. That's what's going to get his attention. And it goes the other way around. A girl who, you know, is like, you know... Uh, What's the, she going to be attracted to? You could have all kinds of muscles. You can do your spray tan. You can do your hair. You're like, however, whatever's popular changes every five years. But whatever's popular, you know, you can have that kind of hairdo. All these guys nowadays, they have their beards. It's big in the Northwest. They're bearded guys. You read this article, you know, all the bacteria that grows on the beard, you know. Even like Liz was showing me the article, like nasty particles, like bathroom, straight up bathroom particles in a beard. And it's like, wow, look how cool I am. You know what's on your face, man? Whatever, it's like the, the whatever's popular it changes every five years. If you want to look a certain way, you know, you're going to attract whatever people, you know, they go after that kind of stuff. But godliness, 
righteousness, the things that never fade, the things that get better in time, they never fade. Strive after those things. Male, female, it doesn't matter. Strive for righteousness, holiness, godliness. Look what happens with this beautiful Tabitha. Beautiful Tabitha. You see, you hear me talk about, you know, beautiful men like Stephen, you know, beautiful men like Philip, like Saul, you know, after his name change. What about the beautiful women at the tomb when it was empty, when all the men were scaredy cats? And here you have beautiful Tabitha. Beautiful, beautiful Tabitha. Look what happens here. In verse 37, but it happened in those days that she became sick and died. You know, kind of interesting the days that we live in today because everybody themselves are becoming sick and dying. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. So this beautiful Tabitha, who's a disciple of the Lord, full of good works, and charitable deeds, she became sick and died, and she was washed up, kind of like a burial preparation. You know, washed her up, and they laid her in an upper room. Very interesting, the things that occur in an upper room. You see in the Old Testament, New Testament, you see a lot of life and death in the upper room. Things that happen in an upper room, life and death. You see Elijah, there was a, a like a, a dead kid, and you know, in First in, in Kings 17, you see what happens in an upper room. And the child came back to life. That's why I say, you know, Elijah wasn't, you know, uh, the, the, the average bear. There's something very special about him. And I don't mean special in terms of, you know, carnal speaking. I mean special in terms of his denial of self. How he didn't turn to the bales like the majority was. They turned to their idols, but Elijah did not. And a lot of life and death that happens in upper rooms. Very interesting when you consider the upper room that is more commonly known of. Jesus Christ and the disciples. The death of Jesus Christ. Precursory, you know, moments prior to his death. In the upper room. And then the life that he gives to the disciples, the life that he gives to the apostles, the life that he gives to you and to me, to all who believe. That's what's so beautiful about the Holy Scripture. You can read these things and maybe you read it in one day and you're like, man, I don't get it. I don't get it. But I'm going to file it away in my mind, file it away in my brain. And keep reading. And you keep reading. And you're confronted. Your carnal man, your carnal woman is confronted. You repent and you're like, whoa, Lord, forgive me. I used to be a crackhead. And now, you know, I'm not a crackhead anymore because you don't like it, Lord. Wow, Lord, I used to do my meth. I used to do my sex. And I don't do that stuff anymore because I don't want to grieve your spirit. Because I love you, Lord. I can't wait for the bridegroom. I can't wait for you, Lord. 
And you keep reading and reading and reading. Then you get to Acts chapter 9 and you're like, oh, Sharon. I remember Sharon. Let me go back to Song of Solomon and read chapter 2. Where you see these things, you're like, wow, here she is, this uh, uh, Tabitha. She's sick and she's died. She's beautiful. She's good, uh, uh, full of good works and charitable deeds. She's a disciple of Christ. You know, I say beautiful, not in the carnal sense. I mean beautiful like beautiful Philip and beautiful Stephen. And here she is, a dead body in the upper room. And it's like, wow, hmm. I remember Elijah when he was in the upper room. I remember Elisha when he was in the upper room. I remember Jesus when he was in the upper room. And so look what happens here in verse 38. And since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there. They sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. It's so cool because you see, like the Christians scattered from Jerusalem. Remember when uh, Saul came and he started killing, like having them in prison. He had Saul killed and everybody just left. They're like, well, let's get out of here. It's too dangerous to be a Christian in Jerusalem. So they left, but they scattered seed. So you see these seeds, they've, they've sprouted. They've found soil in people's hearts. Tabitha is such. She's one of them. Except, you know, she's dead now. She was a disciple full of good works and charitable deeds and she got sick. She's dead. You know, the people, the disciples, you know, they say, hey, we, we, we heard that Peter's in town or Peter's in, in uh, uh, Lydda. So they say, okay, go, go, go get him. Bring him over here to Joppa. So they find Peter. Peter, we got a situation over here. Can you come to Joppa? You see, all these things, the seeds were scattered throughout all the regions, bringing forth fruit. Then Peter, in verse 39, arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping. So these people were, these widows were likely older women with, you know, their husbands were dead. And so they're likely older. There might have been like a younger one in there, maybe the premature death of the, but most likely older women. And they were weeping. No strangers to sorrow because they had their dead husbands. Or I meant they had their husbands who are not dead. So they're weeping, showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas, notice the Greek name here, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. So maybe maybe uh, uh, Tabitha herself was one of the old widows. I don't know. Maybe she was a business lady, a maker of tunics and garments. I don't know. Maybe. But Peter, in verse 40, but Peter put them all out. I love this so much because, you know, in today's culture, you'd look at that and be like, wow, that's so mean. If I was a, you know, a millennial, a little snowflake. Why is Peter so mean? 
You know, these, these ladies, these widows, they're weeping. They're just trying to be cordial. They're showing him the tunics, the, the garments. Why can't he be nicer? And I wonder if Peter's like, I, I really want to pray. So he says, hey, ladies, I know you got to do this. I know you want to show me these things, but can you step aside for a moment? They step aside, close the door, and look what happens. It says, Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. I love when you see these men and women in the Bible who are already beautiful. I mean, these like beautiful, beautiful people. I love it when there's like long chapters about a guy or a gal, you know, it's like, because you see like a long, there's just a lot more written, written about them, you know? And it's like, wow, you know, you start to see like Samuel from like a young boy, from his birth. You know, you see Samuel from his birth and you see his beautiful, faithful mom from his birth. And then you get all the way to the end, you see his death and you see Samuel all throughout these passages. And it's like, whoa, this is so cool. And you fall in love with them. It's like, what a beautiful man. And then when these people start to pray, I love passages like that because it's like, wow, I want to hear Samuel pray. And here Peter, he kneels down and he prays. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, uses her Aramaic name, Tabitha, arise. You know, remember what's happening here. Like to the carnal, he's speaking to a corpse. He's telling a dead woman to rise. The mockers, it's crazy. The mockers would say, what's going on here? This is crazy. And keep in mind that Dr. Luke wrote Acts. You see his humility too. Because he's, he doesn't say, well, you know, start to use all these doctor terms. You know, oh, Tabitha had a hemorrhage in the cerebral apex or cortex. I don't know. I'm just trying. He didn't do that. He's just giving a report. His humble heart. And he's just writing. He knows how God works. He himself walked with the Lord, Dr. Luke. And he's just writing this down like, wow, Peter. Like, he, somewhere down the road, he caught wind of what Peter did. And he penned it down. A recording of what happened here, what we're studying in Acts 9. He's so selfless that he doesn't start to inject his medical opinion. Oh, you know, the uh, uh, Tabitha with her heart arrhythmia in the cortex of the vertical, perpendicular, linear, whatever. No, he just writes it down. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, records these things. And I wonder if today, right here now, it's kind of fanning the flame of the faith in your heart. I pray it is. And look what happens with beautiful Tabitha. And she opened her eyes and she saw Peter. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. It's, <laughs> this is so awesome. You know, like picture, picture Tabitha like laying there. She's like all washed and cleaned up, you know, because they were like, you know, 
getting her ready to like wrap her up and put her in a tomb. You know, and so they if she was poor, they wouldn't put her in a tomb. But they're, you know, the process, the burial process. She's dead. And then all of a sudden her eyes open. And then we look around. Her and Peter's eyes connect. She sits up. You know, what just happened? You know, it's so cool. You see, this is this is how the spirit works. <clears throat> A lot of people today, these so-called healing ministers, they turn it into abracadabra kind of stuff, which is nonsense. It's garbage. Christians who are carnal, alcoholics, druggies, sex addicts, they say, oh, that was for 2,000 years ago because the Holy Spirit skipped over them just like he did with Simon because their heart isn't right with the Lord. A lot of Simons in the last day's church, a lot of Simons in the last day's church, people who believe in Jesus Christ, people who are baptized in Jesus Christ, people who are among the church, but the Holy Spirit skips over them. You know, those are the Simons. And it's so cool. It's like, whoa, you can't explain this. You can't explain what happened with Aeneas, the guy who had the palsy for eight years. You can't explain what's happening with Tabitha. You can't. Carnally, you can't. Supernaturally, I mean, you still can't explain it. <laughs> but yet it is. I guess in a sense you can explain it and just say it's the Lord. Anytime, remember this. Hit the record button on your in your brain, in your heart of hearts, in your mind, hit the, in the depths of your soul, hit the record button. Any time in your mind where you think God can't, with a T at the end, apostrophe T, God can't, stop right there and repent. Because God can. God can. And you know what's so beautiful is you see these passages where you see it. Wow. God can. In the carnal mindset, wow, this guy, Aeneas, bedridden, eight years, paralyzed, the palsy. Tabitha, dead. Sick, she became sick and died. But yet, both are walking. Both are walking. How can you explain that? God can do anything. Anything. That's not to say that you use him for your glory. That's to say in humility, whoa, Lord. And you bow your heart, bow your mind, bow your, prostrate before the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord and give him glory. All these healing ministries, healing ministers, they like titles. 
bishop whatever, reverend whatever. They like these titles. Take the titles. Who cares about titles? Who is glorified? Is Jesus Christ glorified? Or am I glorified? If I want to receive glory, then I need to repent. If you want to receive glory, then you need to repent. Your heart is not right before the Lord, and my heart is not right before the Lord. It is to say, Lord, all the glory is yours. 100%, not 90%, not 98%, not 99.9%, 100% of the glory is yours. All of it. I want none of it. In fact, I'm nothing. In fact, I'm so I'm such the biggest piece of filth and trash. Lord, you get all the glory. These aren't the average bears that do these things. It's not for their own glory. The Lord is glorified. And Tabitha, she opens up her eyes. And she sees Peter. She sits up. And look at verse 41. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. I love this part of this verse so much. <clears throat> He gave her his hand and lifted her up. Every single Christian should do thus with the dead. People who are dead in sin. Who can be alive in Christ. But where are the messengers? Where are the messengers of today? Hey, rise up and walk. Rise up and make your bed. I love this interchange with Peter and Tabitha. Beautiful Peter and beautiful Tabitha. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. So you start to see the word is spreading. And many believed on the Lord. Man, you see? All these people who lean on Buddha. All these people that lean on, you know, Muhammad, the Virgin Mary. People today, they say Catholics are Christians. They don't know what they're talking about. Catholicism is not biblical Christianity. You know, oh yeah, I got to go to Mass. I thought you were a Christian. I am. I got to go to Mass. It's not Christianity, dude. Where does the Bible say you got to do these things? Where does the Bible speak about, you know, praying to the Virgin Mary? Where does the Bible say you have, you know, your, your dead relatives, <clears throat> they go to purgatory? Where does the Bible teach that? Oh, 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 uh, uh, my priest told me that. He did? Yeah. Well, you know what? He's not teaching truth. It's a false teacher. He's not teaching truth. Oh, you're so mean. You're so mean. I'm not going to be your friend anymore. That's today's culture. That's the culture we live in today. 
Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I got to go to mass. You know, all these things. Where does the Bible teach? You pray to the Virgin Mary to rescue your dead relatives. And the Virgin Mary will take your dead relative out of purgatory where he or she is getting tortured. And the Virgin Mary will take these dead relatives and usher them into heaven. Where in the Bible? Where in the world? You will not find that in the Bible. Period. I don't care what any pope has to say about it. I don't care what any priest or bishop of the Roman Catholic faith has to say about it. I don't care. It's not in the Bible. And yet these people, it's like sheep led to the slaughter. But then what do you have? All these people leaning on their Buddhas. They lean on their Virgin Mary. You know, they lean on their angels. You know, oh, I'm going to pray to my angel. Keep praying to your angel. All the angels in the, old, in, the, in the Old Testament and New Testament, somebody would bow to them and they say, hey, don't do that. I'm a servant like you are. Don't do that. We only bow to the Lord. The evil angels are the ones who are like, yeah, bow down. All these people bow down to their angels. Oh yeah, I'm gonna worship my guardian angel. You walk in their house and you see all the like angel figurines all over the place. Angel posters, angel pictures framed, you know, angel figurines, you know, salt and pepper shakers that are angels. It's like, what in the world? What's up with all the angels? Oh yeah, I, I like to give homage to my guardian angel. I pray to my guardian angel. What? Let me ask you something. Your guardian angel never told you, don't do that? You pray to Jesus Christ? No, my angel never told me that. Okay, well, your angel's evil. Your angel's a dark angel. Your angel is satanic. Oh, you're so mean. You're so mean. It's biblical. The Bible teaches us these things. But that's what I say. You know, you've heard me say before, that's what's so beautiful and wonderful about the last days, the events of the last days. As dangerous as it is, as dangerous as it is, people are going to realize how fake their gods have been. They're going to realize these things. Picture like... A football field and you know within every square meter right every square yard there's a landmine underneath and it, yeah you know it looks like a football field except walking on it can be very dangerous to you and those around you and the only way you can get from you know one end to the other end you have to know exactly where to step, exactly where to put your feet. That's what the last days is going to be like. And the Lord's going to say, you know, turn left, you go left, two steps right, two steps right. Okay, go forward, go forward. The Lord's going to direct our steps. Just like he did with the early church, just like he did with Philip. You, I made special note of it. You know, I say, hey, go down here, go down here, specific directions. That's how the Lord works. 
And we're going to see it all through the book of Acts. We're going to see it with, with Saul, how the Holy Spirit is directing his steps. Even stopping them saying, hey, don't go here. It's so beautiful. And there's no expiration date. People come up with that doctrine of an expiration date. Oh, that was that for that dispensation. Because their lives are a mess. The Holy Spirit skipped over them. And so they can't explain it. So they say, oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. The Holy Spirit doesn't work that way for me. I say abracadabra, it doesn't work. So yeah, 2,000 years ago, not for today. No. You don't see that in the Bible. You see obedience in the Bible. Well, you see disobedience in the Bible, but you also see what God does with that. And so it became known in throughout all Joppa. And many believed on the Lord. And see all these people, their gods will fail them in the last days. Their gods are failing them today. Except God never fails. God never fails. You know, it's like for me, my God used to be alcohol. And back in the day when I wanted to blow my brains out. You know, my God used to be alcohol. And so I would call upon the name of alcohol. And you know, he answered me with, with more alcohol, more depravity, more depression, more my pit got deeper and deeper and deeper. The works of my hands got worse and worse. The steps of my feet got worse and worse and worse. I had nowhere else to look but up. My idol failed me you know who never failed me Jesus Christ never never failed me and he will never fail you ever that's what's so beautiful about this beautiful bridegroom in verse 43 <clears throat> in closing so it was that he stayed many days in Joppa. Remember, Joppa is like a port. It's like, you know, it's it's coastal. It's right along the beach in uh, in Israel. So Joppa is coastal. So uh, business community, you know, port, port regions. There tends to be a lot of business, a lot of uh, uh, imports and exports. And so he stayed with a guy named Simon, a tanner, a different Simon. Simon must have been a big name back then. Like, uh, I don't know. What's a popular name now? Matt. You know, a lot of Matts out there. A lot of Johns, you know? All these common names. So Simon was like kind of like that. You know, so here you have, you know, Simon who was a tanner, like a tint's hide is how it translates. He would like take these leathers, you know, and tint them, put tint to them and then sell them. But he's a brother in Christ. He would stay, he stayed with Simon. So you have the, the two Simons, so to speak. Because remember, or if you... You know, hearken in your memory to Matthew 16, when Jesus Christ, you know, Peter said in Matthew 16, Peter says, you are the Messiah. And Jesus Christ said, yeah, you know, you are Simon Barjona, Simon, son of Jonah. Except you're Peter. He changed his name. Changed his name. Just like what happens with Saul. Changed his name to Peter. Or to, <laughs> with Saul, he changed his name to Paul. See how beautiful this is. 
a new nature, a new creation in Christ Jesus. What do you mean? Does that mean I'm going to get a new name? Well, you know, we we studied that when we when we started our study in the book of Revelation. I gave my comments about it. Regardless of the name, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You believe in Jesus Christ. You obey his word. And you're a new creation in Christ Jesus our Lord. He changes you. You could have preconceived notions about abortion, about sex, about drugs, rock and roll, alcohol, all kinds of different things. Religion. Global warming. You know, save the earth kind of stuff. And then you read the Bible and you start to realize, whoa, there's a new earth coming. This old earth is fading. You start to realize, whoa, abortion is wrong. Whoa, the Lord doesn't like my crack. And then you repent and you yield to him. That's what's so beautiful about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Intimacy with Jesus Christ. Oneness with him. And you know what? The bride, the, the bridegroom that is coming, it's you, you speak about the love relationship. Intimacy. You know, passion in a very spiritual sense. That's it's something that every believer has in our glorified bodies. Oneness with Jesus Christ. The marriage of the bridegroom to his bride. The marriage of the bride to the bridegroom. That's how beautiful these things are. So we're going to end our study here. We'll pick up next week, Lord willing, in chapter 10. So God bless you guys. Love you guys. Miss you guys. And uh, fight the good fight.